When I grow up, I want to file all day. I want to claw my way up to middle management, be replaced on a whim. I want to have a brown nose. I want to be a yes man. Yes woman. Yes sir. Coming sir. Anything for a raise, sir. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be underappreciated. Be paid less for doing the same job. I want sunshine blowing up my dress. That still has the same effect on me that it did when it was first aired in 1999. That commercial's 15 years old. It still makes us laugh, but it also resonates with something deep inside of us, doesn't it? I mean, there's not any one of us, I would guess, that wants to be picked for a team and then for the entire season sit on the bench. Nobody wants to work for a company, invest years of their life, and then realize they were doing something insignificant. We don't dream that after we die, somebody's going to deliver our eulogy and declare that our life just didn't matter. We have this hunger for significance in life. A hunger for significance that runs deeper than a need for food or air or water. We were built for meaning the same way that Porsches are built for speed. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible says we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that hunger you feel deep inside of you for meaning and significance, it's God-given. We were designed for more than just simply punching a time clock, than clicking off our days one by one by one. That's why we want to make a difference. Because in the final analysis, we really were designed for more. Well, good morning, everybody. Hopefully this crew enjoyed their extra hour of sleep. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming that's why you weren't at first service. So, uh, We're launching a new three-part series this morning called Design for More, and hopefully by the end, it will help you understand how God has uniquely created and designed each one of us. And it will help us recover this grand adventure that I believe God wrote on each and every one of our hearts when he made us. That verse that I uh, talked about in the opening, its passage from Ephesians, depicts each one of us as this masterpiece that God has created with his own hands. We are a handcrafted work of art, but not like a painting, not like a sculpture that would just be set up for display. We each are a functional work of art. We are designed to go on a grand adventure with God to make a difference, to have an impact in our world. Now, the truth is, Most days when I wake up, I don't feel like a masterpiece. 
I can guarantee you I don't look like one either. Uh, And if we're honest, the truth is that this big idea that God has some grand adventure for us and in mind for us can get lost along the way in the stuff of everyday life. You know, the doing laundry and grocery shopping and doing our kids' science fair projects for them. And yes, I said that exactly like I meant it. Doing their projects for them. You know who you are. You've been there. And all of the other everyday responsibilities of life, of home and family and work. Most days, that doesn't feel like a grand adventure, does it? Some days it's just enough to feel like you've survived another day, right? But I think still, in each one of us, even on those days, there is a sense in us that we've been designed for something more. That there's something there that God's calling us to, that he wants us to do, that's bigger, larger than the life that we're living. The question is, how do we find it? How does it show up? How do we spot it in the busyness and the normalness of everyday life? I think the first thing that I have to realize, that we all have to realize, is that those adventures, those things that God wants us to do, start right where we are. It's not that God's going to just show up someday and call us to some exotic location to work with some exciting people group in some brand new job. Our adventure starts right where we are. Life is generally this tangled up mess of dreams and plans, of hope and reality, of obstacles and opportunities. And I think almost every day, God puts opportunities right in front of us. And sometimes we just simply miss them because of some simple phrases that we use. Three of them in particular. If only, once I, and when I. Now, those phrases, when I use them, just simply help me identify barriers. Things that keep me from embarking on an adventure that God has in front of me. They show up sometimes like this. Once I finish graduate school, you know, when I get my new job or when my life slows down, when I pay off my student loans or when I pay off my kids' student loans, sometimes we put it off on our kids themselves and it comes out like this. You know, when my kids are out of diapers, when my kids are in school, When my kids are in high school, when my kids are in college, when my kids leave home, when my kids leave home again. (laughs) So you felt that pain. If only I had a bigger house, if only I had more money. There are a million ways we use those phrases, aren't there? They just pop up in our conversation. And I think Paul nails it when he says this. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. I love it and I hate it when scripture is that spot on, don't you? 
That doesn't mean that we're never going to move and we're never going to change jobs. But I think sometimes we miss opportunities in life that God sets right in front of us because of a flimsy excuse. We wish our life were just a little bit different. Or we wish circumstances were perfect so we could step out on faith. Do you catch the irony there? If circumstances were perfect, it wouldn't be faith. See, God isn't looking for the perfect person in the perfect circumstances to do a perfect work for Him. God is just looking for ordinary people who are willing to let Him use them to make a difference. He's looking for business executives and bus drivers, for teachers and techies, for stay-at-home moms and traveling musicians, for dentists and deli owners who are willing to just be ordinary people that are used in extraordinary ways. And that includes you and me right where we are right now. And when God has something for you to do, you can be confident it's not about you. It never is. When God sends us to do something, when he puts an opportunity in front of us, the scriptures promise us that he's going to gift us. He's going to bless us with the abilities that we need to get that done. And we'll talk more about spiritual gifts in the coming weeks. But just suffice it to say for now that when God gives you spiritual gifts, they're not about you. They're about living this outward-focused life to bless other people. First Peter says it this way, God has given each of you, it means everybody, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Even Jesus lived his life with this outward focus, not an inward focus. Gospel of Mark says the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's not about you. And whatever it is God puts in front of you as an opportunity, Scripture teaches us that God is going to use your strengths in that. Moses is a great example of this, and it wasn't immediately obvious to him that God was going to use his strengths. When God called Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, Moses hadn't been off preparing to be a leader. Okay, He didn't leave Egypt and go to another country and take on an apprenticeship. He wasn't like assistant king in some other country. He also didn't like run off to MIT and get a graduate degree in leadership and organizational management. It wasn't where Moses went. If you know the story, you know that when Moses left Egypt, he went out in the wilderness and became a shepherd. He spent 40 years tending sheep. That was his livelihood. And he must have been pretty good at it, otherwise he would have starved to death. And that whole story would have taken a different track. So God appeared to Moses through a burning bush, talked to Moses, and he asked Moses a question. He said, Moses, what's in your hand? Moses looked. It's a shepherd's staff, God. For 40 years he'd used that staff to protect the sheep, to fight off wild animals, to rescue wayward sheep, to steady himself himself as he walked on uneven ground, to guide the flock. It was his only tool. It was his source of strength. It was his security. It represented his skills. 
And if you follow his story, that played a role in Moses' leadership from that point forward. God used that staff to perform miracles in front of Pharaoh as a sign that he was God's leader for this nation and he was going to take them out of slavery. When they went on wandering through the wilderness, that staff played a role showing the people of Israel that he was God's leader. And God used that staff involved it in numerous signs and miracles in front of the nation. It became a source of strength. God would look at us, I think, and say, what's in your hand? What are the gifts that God's given to you? What are the abilities and the talents that you have? What experiences and education has God given to you? What are the resources and relationships in your life that God might use to make a difference in this world? Because I believe with all my heart that you are more than a a coincidence of chromosomes and heredity. You are uniquely created to be the individual you are right now. You are created that way by the hand of God to make a difference in this world. 1 Corinthians says, Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. And everyone gets in on it, and everyone benefits. So God's going to use your strengths, but here's where it gets a little dicey for us sometimes. God's going to also use your weaknesses. Sometimes we start digging around and we go, that's a little scary. We may have some things in our past that we still carry some guilt about. We hold on to that guilt. We may have some feelings of inadequacy. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough to lead something or do something for God. And so we have these cautious, fearful tendencies to pull back or to step out of leading or serving for God. And what we forget is that what often makes our story powerful is the very thing we're tempted to keep hidden or suppressed. In the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, tells the story of a lot of great characters from the Old Testament and how they trusted God. They took a step of faith. They did some incredible things for God. They seized those opportunities in front of them. But what gets lost in that summary there in Hebrews 11 is that they were broken and weak people just like us. Let me point out a couple of them. Abraham, great things he did for God. But Abraham had this habitual problem with lying. David? David had an affair with a married woman and had her husband murdered to try to cover it up. Go further through the list, you'll find Rahab. God used her in a great way, but dig into her background, you'll find she was a prostitute. Samson struggled with lust, and it eventually cost him his life. And yet God used each one of them in spite of their weaknesses. Some of them had weaknesses that had to do with sin. Some of them just had weaknesses in their skill set. Let me go back to look at Moses again. While the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness, they got away from Egypt, they got out in the wilderness, you picture this nation of a million people who were structured in slavery. Now they're out in the wilderness. It's inevitable that they were going to get sideways with each other. They were going to get into arguments with each other, and some of this was going to lead to legal disputes between people. Moses only had one solution for all of that, 
And it was that every single argument was going to come to him for resolution. Brilliant. A million people have the potential to get sideways with each other. Everybody's got to come to Moses for a resolution. If any of you work in organizations and you have org charts, this is what Moses' org chart would look like. It's pretty clear. It's just not real helpful. So Moses didn't even realize this was a problem. People were lined up waiting all day to talk to Moses. He didn't realize it was a problem even until his father-in-law, Jethro, pulled him aside. This is in the Bible. Trust me. You can look it up. It's going to come up on the screen. He didn't realize it was a problem until Jethro came to him and said, Look, you're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. So Jethro gave him a plan. said, look, why don't you do this? Why don't you train some people to be judges and divide the nation into groups of 10 and 50 and 100 and 1,000 and then send the smaller cases to them and let only the bigger important things come to you. Makes really good organizational sense, doesn't it? Turns out Moses was a great spiritual leader. Organizationally, not so much. He needed some help. See, every one of them had weaknesses in some area. And yet God used them in spite of and sometimes because of their weakness. When you read Hebrews 11, you find that these people are the ones who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, and get this, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. What I love is that God turned their weakness into strength. They didn't have to fix everything in their lives before God would use them. They leaned into God and trusted Him to do a great, great work in them and through them in spite of any weakness in their life. Look, if I waited for God to fix all the weakness and all the broken places in my life, I'd never do anything. I definitely wouldn't ever set a foot on this stage to teach. We don't have to be perfect. Going on a great adventure with God, making a difference in this life isn't about that. It isn't about having everything in your life all figured out. It's about surrendering. Surrendering all that you are, your strengths and your weaknesses. And simply being willing to be used by God in the way that He has created you to be used. And I love that a few verses later, the writer puts an epitaph on these people's lives and he says the world was not worthy of them. It's beautiful. Why? Because they were willing to be used by God with all of who they were. As I was working on this message, I came across a story that summarizes all of this. And I'm a sucker for a great story. So I just want to share the story of Johnny the Bagger with you. Johnny was a grocery store bagger who was invited to a conference for a supermarket chain. 
there were about 3,000 people who went to this conference where a woman named Barbara Glanz taught. And Barbara spoke at that conference on how one person can make a huge difference. And how every interaction that we have with an individual is a chance to create a memory, to bless that person's life. She talked about how important it is as we go through our days to be sure to watch for those moments. She finished up her presentation for the day. When she was done, she wrote her phone number for her cell phone on a flip chart and invited all 3,000 people to call her if they wanted to talk any further about anything she'd shared. About a month later, Johnny called her, and he proudly informed her that he was 19 years old, he was a bagger at a grocery store, and he had Down syndrome. He said, Barbara, I liked what you talked about, but I didn't think I could do anything special for our customers. I'm just a bagger. But then he had an idea. He decided that every night when he came home from work, he would find a thought for the day for his next shift. It'd be something positive. A reminder of how good it was to be alive. Or how much people matter. Or how many gifts we're surrounded by. And if he couldn't find a thought like that, he'd simply make one up. And every night, his dad would help him on the computer put that one thought six times on a piece of paper. And they'd run 50 copies of it. And then he'd sit down with a pair of scissors and carefully cut those into six strips, 300 of them. And then he'd sign each one. Johnny would take that stack of papers then, carefully put it in the checkout lane where he was bagging groceries. He would sack groceries, and when he got to the last bag in a person's order, he put that piece of paper on top of the last bag of groceries. And then he would stop what he was doing. He would look the person in the eye and say, I've put a great great saying in your bag. I hope it helps you have a good day. Thanks for coming by. About a month later, the store manager called Barbara. He said, Barbara, you're not going to believe what's happening here. I was making my rounds in the grocery store and when I got up to the front of the store to the cashiers I noticed the line at Johnny's register was three times as long as anybody else's. It went all the way back to the frozen food aisle. So I got on the speaker and I called some more cashiers to the front. (laughs) But when the additional checkout lines opened, I couldn't get any of the customers to move. They said, that's okay, we'll wait. We want to be in Johnny's line. One woman came up to the manager and grabbed his hand saying, I used to shop in your store once a week. Now I come in every time I go by. I want to get Johnny's thought for the day. Johnny's doing more than filling bags with groceries. He's filling lives with hope. When people get words from Johnny, they're reminded of the beauty of one person forgetting his own limitations and seeking to make his life a blessing to someone else. 
And whatever burdens or limitations that Johnny carries, it just makes his gift that much brighter. You know who the most important person in that grocery store is? It's Johnny the bagger. A few months later, the manager called Barbara again. (laughs) He said, Johnny is completely changing our grocery store. The florist used to get flowers that were damaged. Or they'd have a corsage that wasn't picked up. And they'd just throw them away. Now, they take those flowers and they find a little old lady or a young girl in the store. They walk the aisles and when they find them, they pin the flower on them. The butchers in the meat department, when they get special cuts of meat and they wrap them up, they put a bow around that meat now. Maybe the biggest miracle of all is the people who make our shopping carts are trying to make carts with wheels that actually work. And all the people of the grocery store will be blessed through Johnny. And if it can happen in a grocery store, It can happen anywhere. Do you know know who the most important person is in your home, in your neighborhood, in the place where you work is? It's you. Do you know who the person is that God has strategically placed in that environment to help effect change? to help make a difference, to do a great work for God, it's you. What Johnny the Bagger does, you can do. What Johnny does isn't slick. It isn't complicated. It isn't calculated. Johnny is just simply expressing his heart. He's expressing the heart of God. Johnny is living out the more he was designed for. And you can do that right where you are. One of the most hope-filled, encouraging verses in all of Scripture is when Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He made that possible for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And through that, lifting the crushing weight of guilt and shame that sin brings on us. And it makes possible not just life in eternity with him, but a life filled with joy and purpose and meaning here and now. And I think it's appropriate then, because of that, that each week that we celebrate communion. And I love that we say we celebrate communion. It is a celebration because of the life that is ours in Christ. And so as you take the cup and drink it, as you take the bread and eat it, celebrate this life that is ours in Christ. Give thanks for what he gives to us each and every day. Let's pray. God, I'm just so grateful that we don't have to live every single day weighed down with guilt or shame 
but that we have joy, we have hope, we have purpose, we have meaning in Christ, that we are your handiwork, a special creation made by you. God, we celebrate that now in this time of communion, in Christ's name, amen.